0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Love Series, Part 1. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Hallelujah. Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. What I'd like to share is about love. I'd like to start ministering, especially in these morning sessions, some things about love. And... uh, We've talked about the love of God. I'd say that nearly everybody, you know, says it. Man, they know about the love of God. But sad to say that we don't know about it. We've heard a lot about it, but really, there's so many things that I experienced that could be dealt with if people understood about how God loves us and how God deals with us. And because of a lack of understanding on that, a lot of people come into bondage. There's a tremendous amount of people that are operating under condemnation, and condemnation is the opposite of love. I believe that if I had to pick one weapon that Satan used against the body of Christ the most, I think it would probably be condemnation is the worst tool that he has against any of us. And some of you may not know what condemnation means. Well, my little simple definition of it is like if you look in a dictionary, one of the uses of uh, condemnation is to declare a building unfit for use, like you condemn it and say it's no longer fit for use. Well, that's exactly what I mean by condemnation. When the devil comes along and tells you that you aren't fit for use, what makes you think God would use you? Why would God bless you? Well, love is the reason for it because God, you see, has loved us and He has made Himself available. He made an atonement. And if you could ever understand how much God loves you and exactly how unconditional God's love is, if we really had a good understanding of that, I guarantee you condemnation would just have no place in our life. And there's going to be a lot of parallels. What I'm going to do this morning is draw some parallels from what it talks about a marriage relationship. And so this is going to be uh, doubly beneficial to us because we'll learn a lot about a marriage relationship and take things that God commanded about love, how it operates in a marriage relationship, and then apply those same principles back to between us and God because the Bible says that God's our husband. And if we would just look at it, if God commanded a husband to love a wife and to do certain things, well then certainly that's God's attitude towards us. And sometimes I, th- I believe it helps to see how God commanded us to operate and then believe that God's going to operate the way he commanded us to. Anybody follow that? Sometimes we think God breaks his own rules. God tells us to love one another, and if they for, you know, there's a scripture that says if your brother sin against you and offend you and and, uh, come and ask forgiveness, that you're supposed to forgive him. And Peter said, how many times, Lord? Seven times. And he said, 70 times seven. 490 times in one day, we are supposed to forgive somebody if they wrong us and come against us. And it says that if it's the same thing, now that's something, isn't it? If it's the same thing, if somebody does it 490 times in one day, you're supposed to forgive them. And then sometimes we think, oh, Lord, this is the second time in this day that I've blown it and messed up. How could you forgive me? Well, if God commanded us to forgive 490 times for the same thing, how many more times do you think God would forgive us? You see, we sometimes don't realize that God operates by the very principles that He lays down in the Word. And we've really got a warped impression of the love of God. So anyway, I know that everybody says, well, man, I know that God loves. Loves me, but I think that we need to really understand it. We need to apply it to our life. And when you do, the Bible says out of Galatians chapter 5 verse, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, that faith works by love. And when you get God's love functional on the inside of you, it's not hard to believe God. One of the big reasons... That our faith has not been more functional Is not because we haven't heard faith Now there may be some of you that haven't Heard faith and I'm not saying that we've preached On it too much but I'm saying that there has Been enough things ministered about faith To see the dead raised, to see Miracles happen and it's evident Because all of us at one time or another Have seen our faith work but it's not a Consistent type of faith what's the reason Behind that I believe that one of the biggest Reasons is because we don't continually Operate and uh, live in The love of the Lord and faith works by love and so since our love is so up and down and since we feel like God's love for us is so up and down and so conditional your faith won't work but when you find somebody and when they can really get established in the fact that God loves them I mean regardless of what they've done God loves you just like you are if you can receive that I guarantee you faith will immediately abound because faith works by love faith is an is a product of love Amen. So if you're having a faith problem, you got a love problem. Everybody believe that? Well, that's the truth. Amen. Amen or old oh me, it's the truth anyway. Praise God. In Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at some scriptures. And this is where the Lord was speaking to a husband and a wife and telling them how to love one another and how to submit to one another. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 21 it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God now when you start talking about a marriage relationship many times people over uh, emphasize one aspect or th- un- one aspect or the other and one of the biggest needs among the body is a balance today that we don't just overreact and emphasize one thing at the exclusion or at the expense of another. The Scripture says that you've got to submit one to another. Now, the Bible talks about a wife submitting unto her husband, but this says submit one to another. And Did you know that a husband has to submit unto his wife? Amen or oh me? That's the truth. And a lot of people don't like that. But if your wife speaks the truth, brother, you ought to submit to your wife. Did you know it? There's a lot of people that lord it over their wife and say, you are supposed to submit to me. Jamie was dealing with somebody that this has been a problem with them just recently. And the husband's sitting there saying, you aren't a submissive wife, and he's trying to lord it over Well, that was a part of the curse out of uh, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, when they rebelled, he was to rule over her. That was a part of the curse, and Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. And praise God, you aren't just under somebody's thumb. There is a godly submission, which I'm not... Trying to teach on, amen I don't want to get off into all of that area But I just want to say That it, it is a submission one to another Is what this scripture says The actual way that a godly home is supposed to function And of course this is dependent upon both partners Seeking the Lord and operating the way they should But the way that God intended for it to be Is that the Lord rules the home And the Word of God dominates the home. And if the child comes up and quotes God's Word, you bow the knee to it, amen? God's Word rules in the home. If Jamie comes and says something, and if she can show me from God's Word where I've missed it, I'm supposed to submit to God's Word. I don't care if it comes through Jamie. Amen. We are supposed to submit ourselves one to another. If you reached a place where if it was again a godly union and a godly marriage where there was just an impassable uh, difference of opinion, the woman ought to submit to the man as long as it's not rebelling at God's word. And there's a lot of things that you could submit to that you wouldn't have to rebel at God's Word to do it. But the proper way is to submit one to another. And I want to remind you that the Lord is the one that's given us these instructions and the marriage relationship was ordained of God and there is a parallel between the marriage relationship and our relationship with God. And I'm going to say some things right here that I don't want you to get up and leave. I want you to listen to this and not turn me off until we get it explained. But if he tells us to submit one to another, then brothers and sisters in our relationship with the Lord as our husband, there is also a submission, not only on our part, but on God's part. Now, some people think, brother, God never submitted to anybody. God has submitted his entire kingdom to us. Did you know it? He gave us authority and power. Now, it's not a submission in the sense that God is not of power. I mean, if the Lord wanted to, if He wasn't going to be just and holy, He could wipe you and me out and not be any the worse off for it. Amen. But because God loves us, love carries submission. And a lot of people don't understand this. When you love somebody, you are making yourself vulnerable to that person. Do you know that's the reason that a lot of people won't open up and love each other is because they've been hurt and they are refusing to open up and get hurt again. When you love somebody, you are opening yourself up to hurt. If that person wants to hurt you, you are going to be hurt. That doesn't mean you have to bear it because the Lord can take it away and you can be healed of it. But there is an element of risk in love. Did you know it? There really is. And if you really love a person, there is a submission on your part to that person. If a husband says, I really love you, but if his love is the kind I love you as long as everything goes right, but boy, the first time you get out of line and the first time you blow it, you'll find out how much I hate you too. You'll find my anger. Well, that's not a God's kind of love because a God's kind of love, you see, loves at all times and you love that person and even when they get out of line, when they're out of sorts, you're still going to have that love. In effect, you are submitting to them and of course, there is a condition on this. You don't submit to them. A woman doesn't submit to man to the point that he goes, she goes out and does sin if he tells her to sin but you submit to him as much as you can within the boundaries of the word well the Lord set down some boundaries too and the Lord has committed so much power and authority to us like it says over in Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 30 he says I've set before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore you choose life that both you and your seed after you may live and he said I've given you a choice God gave us tremendous responsibility and power and a lot of Christians have not realized this. But when God gave that to us, when he committed this power to us, he in effect made himself submissive to the word that he gave us. If you don't take what God gave you and use it, God cannot move in your behalf. He will not move in your behalf because he would have to violate his word. Is everybody following that? You can shake your head, yes or no, I want you to get this, amen. Praise God. If you aren't getting it, we're going to go back over it again until you get it. The Lord committed certain powers and authority to us. Like, let's take the example of uh, forgiveness of sins. The Lord has done everything about forgiving a person's sins that he's going to do. The Bible says out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world have been paid for. Did you know that? Jesus has already died for their sins. And if a person gets saved today, Jesus is not forgiving their sins today. Their sins have been forgiven nearly 2,000 years ago. They are receiving what Jesus has done for them. Y'all see that? But the Lord Jesus doesn't go die for a person. He doesn't... Uh, Make an atonement for their sins It's already been done And in effect God has done his part And He he gave us his word And he said that If you shall confess with your mouth The Lord Jesus And believe in your heart That God raised him from the dead You shall be saved He has Taken salvation and has submitted it unto us. You are the one that chooses whether you're going to receive salvation or not. God does not choose and ordain some people to be saved and some people to be damned. God has given the choice unto us and he has submitted his salvation, what he did at Calvary, unto your will. If you will to receive it, it's yours. If you don't will to receive it, it's not yours and it will not benefit you. So you see, the Lord has put that under our control. And did you know that the Bible says out of Acts chapter 1, I want you to look at this scripture. Acts chapter 1, this is something that a lot of people have never seen. We use this scripture to minister the Holy Spirit, and that's true, man. There's a lot of powerful things in this. But in Acts chapter 1, let's start reading. In verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. They asked a question and said, when is the end coming? When's the second coming? When is the kingdom restored to Israel? And he said, that is not in your power. That is in the power of the Lord. Amen. But then the very next verse says, but ye shall receive power. Now I want you to connect those verses together. We take verse 8 out to talk about when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you receive power, which that's true. But what kind of power? Well, it's power to be a witness, as it goes on to say. It's power to operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, power to do all of these things. But what I want you to see, if you'll compare it with verse 7, he is saying that you are receiving power. Now, in verse 7, there were certain things that when it says they were in the power of the Father, that meant that they were not under your control. They are under the control of the Father. Everybody follow that? But on the opposite hand, when you receive power, that means that this power gives you authority and it's no longer in the control of the Father. It is at your control. Everybody get that? Can you see that from those scriptures? And a lot of people don't like that. They say, man, I don't want that kind of responsibility. Well, God gave it to you. He gave it to you for your own good so that you wouldn't have to be out here floundering and just at the mercy of the devil. He gave you the same divine authority and power that the Lord Jesus had. He made us a joint heir with the Lord Jesus, but it also brought responsibility, and that is that if you don't learn what your responsibility is and learn how to operate it, then God will not, you can say cannot, because he won't violate his own holy nature, he cannot intervene in your affairs and bring the deliverance that you are praying for unless you do what he has given you to do. For instance a person can bawl and squall and pray for salvation all you want to But until you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead You will not be saved because you have to do that with the heart man believes unto salvation and with the mouth Confession is made and for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation so you see God committed that authority and power to you It's yours and it's under your control. You're the one that's responsible For initiating salvation it is totally a work of God it is his power it is his atonement you couldn't save yourself you couldn't save a gnat by yourself amen but God even though it's his power it is at your disposal so you are the one that in effect initiates and decides for salvation amen. God brings it to pass. But you're the one that it's under your control, it's under your power. And so the scripture right here says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive all kinds of power. That means all kinds of things are put under your authority. He gave us authority. He says that you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, and it shall obey you. He says if you say, that is a law. You shall have whatsoever you say. That's under your power. And did you know that we have not been receiving miracles from God because we haven't been putting our talk in agreement with God? People have been bellyaching about the economy and talking about the economy and complaining and carrying on and doing this and doing that. And guess what? They're getting exactly what they say. People are always telling me, say, well, this thing about positive confession, it just doesn't work for me. And I said, it works perfect. They say, what do you mean? He say, well, you said it didn't work for you, and it just worked, amen. It's not working for you. You got just exactly what you said. Brothers and sisters, this is the law of God, and it works whether you know it or not. This is one of those things It's like gravity. It'll work for a believer or an unbeliever. Did you know it? An unbeliever can go to confessing God's Word. There's a lot of people out in the carnal realm that have taken Dale Carnegie courses, and they sit there and look at themselves in the mirror and say, you're the best salesman in this region. You can do anything. You can sell anybody. And some people think that's weird. That's a godly principle and sad to say a lot of carnal people operate in it better than a lot of Christians. Because Christians have been taught to say, oh, we're so unworthy. And oh, we're just sinners saved by grace. God be mercy on me, as God be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, that's not true. I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner, but I've been saved by grace, and I'm the righteousness of God. And I'm above only, and not beneath. And you see, our confession is one of the laws of God. It's one of those things that that God has submitted Himself to your mouth, in your life. Now, God's overall plan's going to get done because 'cause He'll raise up somebody. Amen. If He has to get a donkey to speak His word, He'll do it. He's done that before. Amen. Praise God. The Lord's going to get his word done. But I'm saying that in your life, he has submitted himself unto you. You have submitted yourself unto Jesus as your Lord, and God has submitted himself back unto you, giving you so much authority and power that he is waiting on you, brothers and sisters, to take your rightful place. Now, you see, we realize, many of you, especially most of you here are women, most of you realize that this deal about submitting unto your husband has been just run in the ground to the point that it's become bondage to a lot of people. And we're beginning to realize that, and a lot of ladies are beginning to rebel, and you're getting, getting out of submission. Don't you go to the other extent. Amen? There is a proper method of submission. But at the same time, you see, we've done the same thing in the religious realm. We have sat here and totally, totally, totally emphasized on how you need to submit to God and about how without God you can do nothing. And that's true. But did you know that we've neglected the other side of the submission and you can turn around and say, now I'm going to say this again, don't walk out on me, amen. This sounds sounds like blasphemy to a religious person, but it's the truth. Without God we can do nothing, but without us God will not do anything. Did you know that the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 17 that we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ the word joint heir if you know anything about legal terms means that both people like say for instance if they were going to cash in on an inheritance both people would have to sign on the check it's not one or the other. Like we have a joint checking account, that means either one of us can sign, but that's not a true joint heirship. In legal terms, when somebody is joint heirs, it takes both signatures to cash in on the inheritance. And so we sit here and we've had this emphasized that, boy, unless the Lord you know, moves in your behalf, you can do nothing. That's true. But on the other hand, unless you get in agreement with what the Lord says and act on what He says, God will not do anything in your behalf because He has elevated you to a point of being a joint heir. Amen? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen? Amen. Oh, Dorcas, she's been in on these services. She knows better. Amen. See, most people stop right there and they say, amen, brother. If I'm in a place where I've not ministered before, I can always get people to say, amen, that's what it says. And that is not what it says. If you read that verse and put a period after that, you are not reading that verse. It is not a true statement that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. That is not true. Because it says it is according to the power that worketh in us. Now, some people say, why? Brother, are you saying there's something God can't do? Well, I sure am. The Bible says out of Hebrews chapter 6 that God cannot lie. Amen. I had a guy in one of my services in Louisiana this, uh, well, two weeks ago. He, He was sitting there and, boy, he just got some kind of hostile with me. And he stood up and he started saying, brother, God's sovereign. There's nothing that God can't do. I believe in a sovereign God. There's no limitations. You can't place any limitations on God. Well, there is a truth about God being sovereignty, but what sovereign, but what he was missing is God is so sovereign that God in his sovereignty can limit himself. Nobody else can limit God, but God can place limits on himself. And so I said, Well look, doesn't it say in Hebrews chapter six that God cannot lie? And he, well, you know, fumbled around. Well, yeah, I guess it does. I said, right there, you disproved your own teaching, amen. There's certain things God cannot do. Whether you say it's because somebody else forced him or whether because God made that his own nature, it doesn't matter. The fact is, God is not going to lie. God is holy and just, and God is not going to become unholy just to satisfy your doctrine. He is going to adhere to his word. He said that he cannot lie. God will not lie. The Bible says that he cannot change. God will not change. There are limitations on God. God placed them on himself. And whether a person likes this or not, one of the limitations that God has placed on himself in your life. Now not this is this isn't over everything, but in your life, he gave you certain authority and power, and if you don't let that power work in you, God cannot do exceeding abundantly above anything that you ask or think. It is according to the power that works in you. If you don't know what this power is, and if you don't get in God's word and stir it up, it will not work in your behalf. You will not see God minister and set you free and this power that it's talking about is not desire Desire is great but desire is not faith did you know it there's a lot of people that desire things from God that's not what it's talking about the power that it's talking about is the gospel and as Jack quoted this scripture out of Romans chapter 1 verse 17 the power the gospel is the power of God unto salvation To everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So the gospel, the word of God, is what is the power. As you let the word begin to work on you, and of course along with that goes faith. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. So as the word begins to work on the inside of you, then God is free to move and confirm the word as you move. But you see, there are certain laws that God set down. Amen? Boy, if you understand that, it'll change your thinking on a lot of things. Many of us are waiting on God. I've prayed and I'm waiting on God to do something. You aren't waiting on God to heal you because God's healed everybody. He's going to heal. God's not healing any more people. Did you know it? He doesn't heal people today. He healed them 2,000 years ago. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. We were healed. Were healed. That means it's past tense. We were healed by his stripes nearly 2,000 years ago, and Jesus hadn't died and borne any stripes for anybody since. The Bible says out of a... Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is not up there working. He is seated because he has done his work. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he is now waiting on us to make his enemies his footstool. Oh, sure. I mean, he's not sitting there asleep. But what I'm saying is his atonement is accomplished. Amen. His atonement is done. He is not dying for people's sins. He is not bearing their stripes for their healing. It's already done. And so we aren't waiting on God to heal us. God is waiting on somebody to believe His Word and let the Word of God begin to stir on the inside of them and stand up. And you speak healing. You command healing. You command deliverance. You speak to Satan. You see, we've heard this example about rebuking the devil, and I think probably most people here are aware of the fact that you don't pray and say, Father, rebuke the devil for me. You don't ask God to rebuke the devil because Mark chapter 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. You are the one that has authority over the devil. God has committed it unto you, and if you don't cast the devil out and if you don't speak to him, he's not going to move because God's not going to do it. He's already beat the devil. Did you know it? God's already stripped the devil. He's already done hand-to-hand combat with him through the body of the Lord Jesus, and he stripped him, according to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, made a show of him openly. There is no contest between God and Satan. The only battle now, Satan's not fighting God, Satan's fighting you and me. And the Lord gave us his authority, and if you don't take that authority and rebuke the devil, it won't get done. Satan's not going to get rebuked unless you rebuke him. Now, we realize that. Well, it's the same thing. Let's read on in Mark chapter 16. Not only do these signs follow them that believe you cast out devils, also you have to speak with new tongues. This is one of the reasons that, man, I stumbled and stumbled and stumbled trying to speak in tongues. I was raised a Baptist for one thing, and I was taught that all this was wrong. And I sure didn't want to do anything that was of the flesh. Any of you like that? I didn't want to do anything in the flesh. So I was determined that I wasn't going to speak in tongues unless God just flat took my mouth and I mean made me speak in tongues. I was going to make sure it was of God. As a result, for two years, I sought speaking in tongues without getting it. Because I thought that God was going to make me. Now this is my own example. This is very crude. A lot of people don't like this, but this is the way God ministered it to me. You can take it or leave it. Amen. But I actually had the concept that speaking in tongues was going to start down here, and it's going to be like when you throw up—that it was going to start coming, and you could put your hand over your mouth and do whatever you wanted to, but it was going to—it was going to come out. You just couldn't stop it. And that's the way that I thought speaking in tongues was going to be. And that's the reason it—it it took so long to come. But then I heard a guy one time preach out of Acts chapter 2 verse 4 where it says that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They did the speaking. The Spirit gave the utterance, but they did the speaking. And then it says in Mark chapter 16 that these signs shall follow them that believe they shall speak with new tongues just as they have to cast out devils. In the same sense as you don't ask and then God casts the devil out, you don't ask for tongues and then God makes you speak in tongues. You have to talk in tongues It is not the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues Did you know the Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues Except through a gift of tongues Now there's a difference between a gift of tongues That operates in a church assembly And the speaking in tongues that you do on your own But the speaking in tongues that you do as a believer As Mark chapter 16 talks about The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues that way Did you know it? It is your spirit, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe it's verse 14, says that if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, not the Holy Ghost, my spirit prays. The Holy Spirit gives the utterance, gives the inspiration. It's the exact same thing as I'm up here preaching right now. I believe that God is directing what I'm saying. I believe that God's inspiring it. I really do. I believe that God's anointing what I'm saying. But did you know if I'd have stood up here and if I'd have said, Lord, I don't want to get in the flesh. I only want to say the words that you want me to say. And if I'd have stood up here and I've opened up my mouth and stuck my tongue out and just waited on God to start moving it and make me talk, do you know we'd still be sitting here? Because God isn't going to make me start talking. I've got to start talking and by faith believe that God has given me the utterance. I'm the one that's ministering this morning, but God's inspiring it. And a lot of people, they just have trouble with that kind of stuff, but there's nothing hard about it. It's God's power, but I'm the one that it's coming through. I'm the one that's speaking. Well, you're the one that speaks in tongues. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. Your spirit speaks in tongues. The Holy Spirit inspires it and gives you the utterance. And did you know when I saw that, that was the end of my search. I went down that night in the Methodist chapel and I said, I'm a believer. I will speak with new tongues. And I started talking. Of course, I got embarrassed and fell down and asked God to forgive me. And it's two more weeks before I got up enough courage to do it again. But that's where the victory came. And I started speaking in tongues. And I still speak in tongues. Amen. And it goes on to say there in Mark chapter 16. It talks about taking up serpents, drinking any deadly thing. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many of you ever pray in your closet and say, Oh God, heal so and so. And they die and you wonder why they died. Well, did you lay hands on them? Boy, this was a problem that I had, see. I knew that God could heal, and so I started praying for healing. And I bawled and squalled and begged and pleaded. And if you got it by bawling and squalling, I would have got it, amen. I prayed to see people healed, and I wasn't seeing people healed. Why? Because the Bible says that these signs follow me. I don't follow the signs. I don't pray for a miracle. And then when I see it, jump in and say, praise God, I prayed for that. No, you pray, you believe, and then you go out and you lay hands on the sick, and the signs follow you. The anointing follows you. Amen? So I started laying hands on the sick, and lo and behold, my much surprise, it started working. We started seeing people healed. And I found out that the whole time it wasn't God that I was waiting on. God was waiting on me to do what he said and go lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I'm saying all of this from the point that we were making over there in Ephesians about that God, we submit ourselves one to another. That's the way he told a physical relationship to work. And brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not, that is the way that the Christian life is too. We submit ourselves totally unto God, but at the same time, God has submitted certain things to us. And you need to start realizing your position of authority and your relationship with God. Some people say, how could that be? It's because of love. God loves us so much that He did not leave us powerless. God loves us. He loves us so much. I don't know if you understand this. But He loves you so much that He gave you God's divine power. You have creative power. Did you know that it's no uh, mistake that human beings are the only ones that are able to talk? God did that because speaking words is a God-given quality. God speaks words. He created the worlds by His words. He spoke them into existence. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Your tongue has creative power in it. You could create with your tongue. Did you know it? You can speak miraculous things into being. The reason for that is because God loved mankind so much that He gave us His divine quality of being able to talk. Isn't that something? And did, and if you could just stop and think about it, it wouldn't matter whether you had intellect or not. If you did not have some means of communication, I mean even knock out writing, if you didn't have some means of communication, we'd still be in the dark ages. Did you know it? Speaking and communicating is what it's all based on. All of the development that the world has seen has come through the speaking and the ability to communicate. God gave that to us. It's a God-given quality. And when He did it, it put tremendous responsibility upon us. When we say the wrong things, man, we bring the forces of nature against us. Did you know it? Gravity is a law of God. It's not a bad law. It's a good law. God gave gravity to us so that you wouldn't have to strap yourself down, amen? You don't have to worry about things. You can walk someplace, you're sitting in that chair, and you aren't thinking about it. You see, gravity's working. It's a good law. It's a God-given law. God gave it to us for our own benefit. But did you know that if you don't understand the law of gravity, and if you use it the wrong way, and if you're flying in a plane somewhere, and you think that those clouds look nice, and you'd like to get out and walk on them, that law of gravity will kill you deader than a hammer. The law of gravity is good, but you've got to know how to operate in the law of gravity to see it work. God gave it to us because he loved us. It's I'm glad we got a law of gravity. I can't imagine what it would be like without it. Amen. You'd really be floating, wouldn't you? Floating high Well anyway God gave us laws For our own benefit But because we haven't Known what they were And because we haven't Known how much power And authority God has submitted to us We have been using These laws against ourselves A lot of people think What we're talking about Your confession Is just foolish I just don't believe God puts that much Importance on it Well if you don't believe it Those laws are going to Work against you The Bible says out of Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, that every idle word that man speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter whether you put that importance on it or not. God does. And if you don't do it, you're the one that's going to suffer, not God amen so we need to learn whether you realize it whether you want it or not God has submitted certain things under our power and we've got to learn our relationship with the Lord and I guarantee you, it loves what did it all when you begin to understand and see how much power God's given to us boy it quickens my love to see how much authority God's given me it's awesome and I guarantee you, it answers so many questions it's not that God doesn't love us that people have sat here and prayed for healing and they've died sick. It's not because God loves you. Quite the contrary. God loves you so much, He gave you enough power to manifest healing. And it's not that God didn't love you. It's that God loved you so much, He gave you so much authority and so much responsibility that you didn't use that you kept Him from moving in your behalf. Through you not knowing what the laws of God are that govern faith, that govern healing, that govern deliverance, whatever it is that you're praying for. Some people think, why did, why did God do this? Well, it's because of God's love. He didn't do it. Because of His love, He submitted it unto us and we did it. Amen? Some people think God sure seems to be means. Quite the contrary. He loves us so much that He gave that power to us and we're the ones that's missed it, not God. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. I got a little sidetracked, but that's good. Everybody needs to know that. Everybody needs to know that. We need to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. The husband and wife relationship has to have this working. Not only does the wife need to submit to the husband, but the husband needs to recognize a wife's position. And the husband needs to submit. Amen? Submit one to another. And this is exactly what the Lord is doing with us. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church And he is the savior of the body Now right here He emphasizes how much this comparison he's talking about Is spiritual And I personally believe That when he's talking about the physical relationship right here He's not really speaking about the physical relationship He's using it as an example Talking about our relationship with the Lord And you can see that as it goes on down in verse 32 It says this is a great mystery But I speak concerning Christ and the church and then he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So in verse 32 he says, Look, this is a mystery to you, but he says, I'm talking really about Christ and his church, but it still will apply to the physical relationship. So the point that he's making right here is actually a spiritual relationship, and we've not seen that. Man, we've emphasized about how the wife needs to submit herself unto the husband. We've emphasized a lot of these things, but the main thing that he's talking about here is the love that God has for us now as it talks about the man being the head of the wife this is talking about in the physical relationship that the man is a domestic head of that wife there's some people that teach that a man is a woman's spiritual head and I've even heard people go to the extent to say that a woman cannot really approach God unless her husband's in right relationship because he in effect is a mediator he's her head and she has to go through him to get to God Brothers and sisters, that's not so. That's the same thing the Catholics are doing in going through a priest to get to God. You don't have to go to a uh, priest. You've got a high priest, the Lord Jesus. A man is not a woman's spiritual head. He is a domestic head in physical matters relating to this earth. Amen. I can verify that by this scripture right here. Verse 23 says that he is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, that's not talking about that Jesus is the Savior of the body because that word Savior is not capitalized. That word Savior is a small s. You look in Titus, you look in all the other places where Jesus is spoken of as being a Savior, and and Savior is capitalized. It has a capital S on it. It's talking about that the husband is the Savior of the wife. And some people say, Savior, how could he be the Savior of the wife? How could he forgive the wife's sins? Well, the word Savior doesn't mean always as we apply it to the Lord Jesus because in the book of Judges it's used three different times talking about that God raised up a Savior unto the nation of Israel, which was Gideon, Samson, Deborah, Barak. All of these people were saviors. The word Savior means a deliverer, a protector. And when you apply it to Jesus, it takes on divinity because He delivered us also from our sins. But you can use the word Savior to apply it to anybody who is a deliverer or protector. And that's the way that it is applied to the judges. And right here, it's talking about that the man is the Savior of the wife. Now, we know that's not talking in a spiritual sense because a man cannot save a woman's spirit. This is talking about the physical relationship. The man is the savior of the wife, the protector, the deliverer for the wife. And this same thing is borne out in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where it says, If a man does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. A man has a res- responsibility to provide for his family physically, financially, and all of those kind of things in the material, physical realm. And we've got into a lot of problems when people start saying that, well, we're supposed to submit unto that man even as Christ under the church. That is true in the natural realm. Amen, but not in the spiritual realm. If that guy starts horning in on God's uh, territory, amen, and telling a woman to go out and commit sin, do something contrary to the Word of God, you never break your submission to God. God, Our submission to God is superior to our submission to any man. I don't care if it's a husband and wife relationship, pastor and uh, church member relationship or whatever. You never obey a person to the degree that you disobey God. Now there needs to be some wisdom used on this because some people say, well, well, that's what I believe. And my husband, boy, he told me not to go to church and I'm going to go every time the door is open. Well, you need to realize, but what does the word forsake mean? The word forsake doesn't mean miss once in a year. The word forsake means forsake, right? It means that you just quit it. I would tell a woman that if her husband told her you cannot go to church, I'd tell you go to church because God gave you a command to go. But I would also be quick to tell him, use some wisdom. If you're going to church so much that your dishes are piled up in the sink, that your home's a wreck, that you are not ministering to your family and fulfilling the ministry that God gave you to your family, you're wrong to be going to church and let your home go. And that's why a lot of men are turned off against a lot of women because their Jesus, as they look at it, is taking them away and they have presented a sorry witness to the home. And ladies, you're wrong if that's what you do. You've got a responsibility to the home that needs to be fulfilled. Amen? And you may have to use some discretion. You may not be able to go every time the doors are open, but don't forsake it. You go as much as you have to to get fed and to keep your spiritual life going. And there's also some wisdom. Some of you are in these old dead denominational churches where you got quilting parties, knitting circles, gossip circles, things like that. If that's what you're doing, i tell you to quit going to that whether you got a husband or not. Amen? But you need to use some wisdom. If you're in one of these things that it is not ministering the word of life, if you're sitting here having some little tea someplace and listening to everybody gossip about everybody else, you better off not to go to that thing. Don't go and neglect your home. If your husband told you don't go to church, well, g- knock out all the extracurricular stuff that is not the word of God, that is not feeding you. Submit as much as you can, but don't get out of submission to God. Amen? Praise the Lord. I don't know how I got off on that, except that needs to be ministered. You know, a lot of people are really confused in the area of women submitting. Let me also, while we're on this, I'm just going to say a few other things because I believe that this will benefit a lot of you. Many people teach that women are supposed to submit, women in general, submit to men in general. The scripture does not teach that. Right here it says that the husband is the head of the wife. And it talks about the woman submitting unto the man. You can see this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at this scripture. This is one that uh, a lot of people have gotten confused about. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. But to be in silence some people have taken this scripture to say that a woman cannot even say anything when men are present The only time a woman could minister would be to other women That is not what that scripture says it says that she's supposed to be in silence and in uh, Let's see, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man Notice the article the that means not men but the man Her husband, if you look it up in the Greek, somebody, I don't know Greek, but somebody told me that the Greek always makes this definite, not mankind, but husband. This is talking about a a woman can talk to a man, a woman can teach a group of men. Women are not inferior to men, but women are supposed to submit to their husband, and the word here, it says usurp authority. The word usurp means to take by force against a person's will. If a woman's husband was telling her, no, I will not allow you to teach, I will not allow you to do this, well, then don't do it. Because you do have to submit to that man. Amen? Oh, me. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I don't know if you disagree or if it's just new to you. But this is saying that a woman, a woman can teach, a woman can do any of these things, but a woman is supposed to be in, sum, in submission to her husband. If a woman is going to be a teacher, a preacher, whatever, she's going to have to have her husband in agreement. And I'll throw something out that is andiology. I'm just going to say this. I'd, it'd be nicer. It'd be a lot easier to avoid it. But nobody ever says anything on this, and so I'm going to say it, amen. You can take it or leave it. You love me anyway. But a lot of people say, well, do you believe a woman can pastor a church? I believe that it's very hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife, amen, which is a qualification of an elder. So I personally think that a woman is out of place to pastor a church. But as far as any other ministry, I think that a woman is fine to get up and teach, to minister at a meeting like this, to proclaim the gospel, to be on the radio, to do anything. Amen. Marilyn Hickey and the relationship that they got up there, Wallace Hickey's a pastor of the church. She's a teacher, and she ministers in that church. Her oh. husband's in total agreement, and I think it's a good situation. I really do. I think it's a godly order, and I think things are fine. But if she was the pastor of that church, I believe that it it's very impossible for her to be the husband of one wife. Amen? Praise God. And answered all those questions, didn't he? I'll tell you, I got a good, got a good friend who is a woman, and she's pastoring a church. And she is being used of the Lord. She really is. And God's using her. And somebody says, well, that can't be of God. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't think that it's the best way. I don't think that God ordained it to be that way. But God used a donkey one time. Did you know? You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. I pastored three churches. And God used it. And we saw a lot of miracles happen. But did you know I I have been... Led to believe by the Lord recently that I have just now really found where God wanted me to be I'm doing now what God wanted me to do and if I had a quit Before I got into this part of the ministry. I would have missed God's will God's will never was for me to pastor a church Somebody says well were you sinning against the Lord? No at the time I wasn't prepared for this and God used me in that position and it it was used but it was a temporary step and God used me But I can also show you that there's a lot of things that I was believing for as a pastor of a church that we saw great things happen, but we never saw it happen the way that I've seen other people who are called a pastor of church and are in the exact position that God wants them to be. Boy, things just mushroom. Ours was a struggle. We saw good things happen, but it wasn't quite the way that it should be. This ministry, boy, I mean, things are exploding. We can't keep up with it. We really can't. We're just snowed under I believe it's because this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and it's working the other was not wrong if somebody to come up and said man you're sinning against God I wasn't sinning against God God would have dealt with them because I was doing what I was supposed to do at the time but it just wasn't God's perfect will this lady I believe has a tremendous ministry she was uh, killed her husband killed her and she's raised from the dead amen come back tells everybody about it she's got a good testimony she's got a good ministry she's strong in faith And God's using her, but I think that as you continue to watch her, you'll find out that she's not going to be in that position very long, and God's going to move her and get her into the place where he wants her, and it'll function better. Amen? I'm not against her. She can pastor that church if she wants to, but if she is to ask me, should I? I'd say, how could you be the husband of one wife? Amen? And some people think, well, that's just a principle. Well, I believe it means just what it says. You can take that or leave it. Amen? But the whole principle, if you'll look in the Word of God, when it's talking about women being in subjection, it's talking about unto their own husband, not unto mankind. I had a lady one time come to me at a meeting, and uh, I was, I think, 18 years old. I guess, I don't know if I was even that old. But anyway, I was about 18 or something, and I went to this meeting in Nacogdoches, Texas, at this Baptist encampment. And after it was over, everybody had gone except for me and about these three ladies, and they were riding home with me. And this other lady, she had her car. She was going a different direction, but some of them were riding home with me. And uh, this lady's husband went on back, and her car broke down. Her water pump broke. And she just started to get beside herself, and then she stopped, and she says, Well, the Lord says that I am supposed to be on submission to the man. he says, You're the man here, and so it's your problem. You take care of it. Man, I didn't know come here from Sikkim about that. I was the kind of guy, you know, that I couldn't go get things taken care of very well. And she just dumped it on me. I spent all that day running around asking people how to fix a water pump and trying to check out which is the best place and do this. I'd ask her if she had any money, and she says, you just take care of it. She wouldn't give me anything. And it was miserable. And I didn't know any better. I tried to do it. And I think finally she just, you know, she knew a lot more about it. She's like 40 years old and she's submitting unto a 17 or 18 year old kid, getting everything taken care of. I didn't know what to do. And she thought that she was really doing a godly thing. Brothers and sisters, that is not what the scripture says. She was not supposed to be in submission to me. That is foolishness. And I rebelled at it. And did you know that she used that kind of submission on her husband? And did you know that today they're divorced? They're separated and they were supposed to be spiritual giants. But they're divorced, and I'm convinced that that kind of submission is one of the big things that broke that marriage up because that is not what God meant by a wife submitting herself. Amen? Praise God. Well, anyway, that's all free. We weren't even supposed to be ministering on that. So anyway, back in Ephesians chapter 5. It's talking about the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Let's take this in the spiritual sense and look at the Lord being our husband. The Lord is responsible for us. And boy, this will help you tremendously in the area of finances if you could get this impression of the Lord. Because in the same way as a husband, as Scripture says out of 1 Timothy chapter 5, that if any provide not for his own and especially... For those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. Now, that is a strong statement. If a man is not working and making ends for his family, and, of course, you've got to be careful here about what standards you put on providing for your family. Some, some women might say, Well, I don't have a gold-plated Cadillac sitting in the driveway. My husband's an infidel. He had not provided for me. Well, that's, you know, not so. But a woman needs to be taken care of, a family needs to be taken care of. And if a man doesn't do it, he's worse than an infidel. That means a lost person, a person who is uh, reprobate to the gospel. And God's the one that said that. Turn it around and use it as him being our husband. If the Lord didn't provide my needs, then the Lord would be worse than an infidel and deny the faith. Praise God. I know that's not coming to pass. Boy, if you can see this relationship, you can see how much it is God's will to supply your needs. And some people think that God's the one that has willed us to go through this poverty. God is the one that has willed us to live in this defeat and in all of these kind of things. If you look at it in the husband and wife relationship about the commitment that the husband has to have to the wife, then you are sitting there saying that God is breaking his own laws by willing us to go through these things. What kind of husband would I be if I said, Well, Jamie, needs to know how to be humble so I'm going to get rid of her washing machine and dryer, amen, we're going to get rid of the dishwasher she's going to have to start using a scrub board, go down to the creek do all of these things, if I was to start imposing those kind of things on her boy, somebody ought to come tell me something because that's just not right now I'm not saying you've got to have those things but she does have them, and for me to sit there and take them away from her to sit there and try and make her humble that's not the way that you do something like that That's wrong. That's misplaced. And yet this is exactly, see, what religion has been putting forth about, well, God is letting you stew in your juice. God's the one that's put you in this situation and made you poor. God's the one that's done all of these things to humble you. If we were to accuse a man of doing that to his wife, you'd send the welfare after him you know what? they got laws against some of those things, and yet we've accused God of the same thing. Why? Because we haven't understood that God loves us at least as much as He commanded a husband to love his wife a thousand times more. But you see, we haven't understood this. We have not looked at the relationship between man and wife and realized that that's really the relationship that God has between the, uh, Himself and between His children. And we need to realize it. praise the Lord, the Lord has ordained for us to prosper. God wants to provide for you. It says out of Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, it says, Let all those that favor my righteous cause say continually, Let God be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God is pleased in you prospering. God is pleased for you to prosper. God is not pleased when you don't prosper. Y'all see that? If you would understand that faith, immediately would be activated and you'd quit rolling over and letting the economic situation bind you. Who cares what the world's doing? Who cares what the United States economy's like? God's my husband, amen. He's my father and he's providing for me and he delights in me prospering and the Lord's going to get it to me, amen. I don't care how he does it, it'll be honest. But he's going to get it and I'm going to get it and God's going to supply my needs. And immediately that activates faith. There was an instance where Jamie and I, when we first got married, I was trying to provide for her, but I wasn't doing very good. I thought that it was sin to go out and work if he's called to preach. And I got that, uh, I came by it honest. I was sincere in it, but I just misunderstood things. I, I shared this with a pr- pastor this last week who somebody had come through and condemned him because he was out working and making money on the side. He was putting about half of the money that came into that church a month in it himself. And he was really condemned, and he thought he was sinning against the Lord. And he had to go get some building materials, and I went with him. And on the way over there, he was kind of apologizing. He says, boy, I wish I could get out of this. I know that I'm doing the wrong thing. And, man, I just shared with him, I said, you aren't doing the wrong thing. The Bible says, out of First Corinthians chapter 8 or chapter 9, those that preach the gospel shall live of the gospel. And the Lord showed me that's proportional. If I'm preaching to two people a week... I can't expect to live of the gospel full-time because I'm not preaching full-time. If I get to where I'm preaching and ministering and it takes all the time I've got to be able to do it, I can expect to live of the gospel full-time. In effect, you see, a minister receives wages for what he does, just like a person out working on a job. If you are ministering full-time and ministering and supplying the needs of people, he says, those that hear, receive spiritual things or it is your obligation to minister back carnal things just like if you went into a restaurant and if you got food amen and if you bought a meal and if uh, you wouldn't sit there and eat in somebody's restaurant and then go across the street and put your money over there you pay where you get the food if god's people would understand that i guarantee you the pe- people that are preaching the word of god would be prosperous and the people that aren't would get starved out But there's some people, I hope it's not any of you, but there's some people that are in these old dead, dried up churches and you put your money into that old dead, dried up church and you go listen to somebody else to get your food. And you put your money into that thing. That's wrong. Amen. You're supposed to give where you're being fed. But what the Lord was showing me was I was ministering to so few people. I mean, they used to stay away from our meeting by the droves. Amen. It was something else. We were ministering to so few people, I couldn't expect to live of the gospel full-time. When I got full-time, I have had my needs supplied full-time. Amen? And it's working. But when the Lord showed me that, I went out and I'd just believe the Lord and I'd do one week's worth of work and spend the rest of the time studying, but I'd get enough money in one week to supply me for a month. I wasn't out trying to, you know, become rich in the go- in the world system. My desire was to preach the gospel, but I did what it took to fund me and to help it until I got to where I was full-time. I shared that with that man, and it just set him free because, really, he only had about 20 people in his church, and he just wasn't ministering to very many people, and the overhead was $3,000 a month, and brothers and sisters, that's quite a strain on 20 people. I mean, that's counting kids, maybe three families. That's quite a strain for $3,000 a month. He ought to be making some tents. Paul did it. Amen. So anyway, this was my problem. I didn't know that, and I was sitting here thinking I'd be sinning against the Lord if I uh, went out and worked. And the only preaching I was doing was, oh, once a year in Layman's Sunday. And I was believing the Lord for a place to preach, but I wasn't preaching anywhere. I was holding a Bible study once a week. And so our needs weren't being met very well. And we got behind we didn't have any food. And I mean when we talk about not having any food, I don't know. Some people, you know, they're down to $1,000 in the bank, and they're talking about, oh, all I got a $1,000, and you got $1,200 worth of bills. That's not broke, amen. I don't care if you got more bills than what you got money. If you got $1,000, you aren't broke. When I'm talking about being broke, we were broke to the point that when you went to the cupboards, all you could see was the cockroaches. I mean, there wasn't nothing in there. There wasn't even cans of stuff there. We'd run out of salt. I mean, we got low. Anyway, this time we weren't completely out, but all we had was fritos. We had a bag of fritos. Wasn't it fritos? She always corrects me on these stories. But we had a bag of fritos, and a guy had come through and was visiting with us, and he drove a Coke truck. And so he brought us a whole case of Coke. So we had a case of Coke and a bag of fritos. And we'd been eating on that for two days. That's all we had was fritos and Cokes. And this was right after we got married. It wasn't more than three months or so after we got married. And... Uh, we just were broke and I mean we had uh, a little bit of gas in the car and we took down I remember some milk bottles and got them cashed in and we had like a dollar and I don't know dollar and eighty cents or something like that's what we had and that wasn't enough to really go get anything so we uh, came in from church one night and as we came in Jamie went in and I'd done the same thing just go look through the cupboards like maybe the Lord put something there you know and she was looking through the cupboards and i was watching her and boy it just really hit me about that i was to provide for her and that i wasn't providing for and i got to praying and boy i said lord i'd give my right arm to to feed jamie i said how come we've acted on the word and done everything the best we know why don't we have our needs met? why are we eating fritos and coats? And I just got a little bit upset, and we took that dollar and eighty-something cents we had, and we went out, and I bought her something to eat. And the next day, we had enough change left that uh, she took the change, and she walked over to the wash and she was going to wash the clothes. And as she was leaving, I was really upset, is what I was. And I was walking up and down in that apartment, and I was getting with it, and I was saying, God, I'd give my right arm to feed Jamie. How come you hadn't provided our needs, which wasn't a very good attitude. But the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Andy, I gave my son for you. He died so that you might be rich, according to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And, boy, it just turned it around. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to show me, and he ministered to me. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And as he showed me that, see, one of the reasons that our needs hadn't been met is because we had prayed, but my faith just wasn't really strong. We were brand new and That's one of the first things that we had ever believed the Lord for. And my faith was just puny. That's what it was. And as the Lord showed me that it was his good pleasure to give me the kingdom which definitely included my needs being men. I tell you, it just, the Lord made it real to me. It became a reality. I remember standing right there on the floor and I began to cry and say, Father, thank you. I know that you have given much more than what I'd give to supply Jamie's needs. You have supplied my needs much more. And I just began to praise God and praise God that he would supplied our needs. We still didn't have anything but free and cokes. But I knew that God had supplied my needs. I knew God wasn't my problem. I knew that God will, it was his will. He was responsible for us, and I knew that God had done something about our situation, and so I didn't understand what, but see, at the time, I didn't know, but I found out since then that other people are involved in your finances. I didn't know that then, but I just knew that wherever the problem was, it wasn't God, and so I began to praise God and say, praise the Lord, you've supplied our needs, and I rejoiced, I really did, and when Jamie got back from the wash I told her, I said, we are going to eat meat this day before midnight. And I told her, well, for lunch we had Fritos and Coke. That's all we had. And then for supper we skipped it because we was tired of Fritos and Coke. And so we uh, went to church. And when I got to church, this guy uh, asked, asked me to come over. And I was sitting down and talking to him. And he says, do y'all like fish? And I said, yeah, I like fish. And he says, well, you come over after church tonight. And so, man, I just was praising God. After church, we went over. They lived in the same apartment complex we did. I went over after church, and a guy had caught, I don't know, 50 or 60 big old fish, had too many, so he gave a bunch of them to this guy. And this guy had more than they could eat, and so he wanted to give some to me. And so he gave us this fish. We didn't tell him what we had been through and what we had been eating. I just told him, thank you. And as we were getting ready to leave, he says, oh, by the way, he said, I told my wife Judy to go over and give these to you this morning. But she walked over there and the car was gone. So she figured you weren't there. And so we just, you know, gave them to you tonight. And when we got home, I got to thinking that out. And did you know that the only time we left that apartment that day was when Jamie put the clothes in the car and drove over to the washateria so that she wouldn't have to carry them? I was in there, and that was the exact time that I was praying that the Lord was speaking to me, and the exact time that I finally believed that God really loved me and was supplying my needs, that at that exact moment God supplied our needs. That lady brought them over to our door but didn't see the car and turned around and went back, and it was later that night. Man, we got those fish going, and we ate just about two minutes to midnight i mean we had to push it to be able to eat before midnight that night but we ate a meal and the next day we had a lady give us a whole big old box full of porterhouse steaks and all of these kind of things and i mean we started eating high on the hog it was around my birthday and she gave those to me for my birthday just a whole box full nothing but meat roast things like that and the lord started supplying our needs, and it worked And the whole thing that broke that was when God started showing me that he loved me. You see, I would allowed Satan, because of the circumstances, to get me to thinking, well, God, why don't you love me? You don't love me as much as I love Jamie. I'd provide her needs if I was out working in the world. How come you aren't supplying our needs? Well, God wasn't a problem. You see, it was the fact that I was in that doubt, I was in unbelief, I wasn't operating in love, and faith works by love. And the moment that God showed me how much He loved me, I mean at that exact moment our need was supplied. And He had been working to supply it even before that, but I mean at that exact moment they brought it over, we had to wait 12 hours to receive it but God was supplying our needs brothers and sisters faith works by love and if you could start understanding the love relationship that we have with the Father it wouldn't be hard for you to receive healing I've looked at people who are dying of cancer I'm sure that many of you have people I mean who are in desperate situations and you just go to crying and weeping over them, seeing the tragedy that's coming into their life you would do anything that you could to release healing in them well how much more does the father love us man the compassion that I have for somebody's dying doesn't come close to reaching the compassion that God has God's compassion is much much greater but you see we haven't known that a lot of people think well maybe it's God's will that they be this way maybe God's doing that to teaching brothers and says that just wars against the love of God what kind of husband do you think I'd be if I had the power to strike Jamie with cancer and see her waste away and say it's for her own good Boy, people, you couldn't understand that. God wouldn't want you to understand that. That is not love. Amen? And because we've listened to stuff like that about the Father and because people have swallowed a lie like that, it's hurt our understanding of a relationship of love. And we really don't understand and see how much God loves us. And because of it, we don't know how much God's on our side. Boy, you need to sit down and you need to let the Lord minister to you and just establish in you how much God loves you. And when you see that, boy, you'll be able to stand against cancer and say, Father, thank you. I know, I know above anything else that a loving God doesn't want this on me. I know that you've given me your power and I know it's your will to break this. And praise God, your faith will get activated when you get love established on the inside of you. And you can start seeing yourself come out of a lot of these things. You get out of your fits of depression if you really understood God's love and knew that, man, God didn't ordain that. A lot of us think God's punishing us with those kind of things. We'll get into that later. I haven't got time to do it today, but that's not God. Well, the love of the Lord, when you understand it, it'll begin to set you free, and it'll teach you some things about this. Amen? Praise God. We didn't get very far today, but we said a lot of good things. If you'll stick with us, I believe that by the time we get through, you're going to start understanding how much God loves you. And it'll, faith will be a result. We aren't ministering specifically on faith. We're ministering on love. But your faith will be quickened. Amen. And you'll be able to go out of here and believe and receive your needs. meant. This is the end of the morning session. And now the beginning of the evening session, August the 28th, 1980. God's people wouldn't be settling for the bondage and the defeat that's in their life if they understood how much God loves us. But sad to say, religion today has painted a picture that God doesn't love us. All they say God loves us, but with their actions, they're the ones saying God's the one that killed your child, God's the one that made you poor, God's the one that's made you sick, God's the one that's made all of these problems for you. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, you can say what you want to with your mouth, but your actions carry more weight. We've got a teaching on child training. Many of you have been listening to Jamie's series on child training. People have responded real well to that. And a child, you can tell them the right thing, but if you're living like a devil in front of them, your actions are going to carry more weight with them than what you say. Actions teach louder than words. There was a song that we used to sing, that, and it said, What you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear what you say. Amen. Pretty good principle in that. And you see, this is what religion's been doing. Religion taught me to believe that God could do anything. And if you'd have asked me, could God heal? Certainly God could heal. But you know what they taught me by example? That the first time you get sick, go to the doctor. I didn't know anything in the Bible about call for the elders of the church and let them anoint you. I thought it meant call for the doctor, amen. Where did I get that from? By example, that's where I got it from. And yet I would have been the first one to stand up and say, Brother, God can heal if he wants to. You see, I have went by people's example. That's what everybody goes by. And, and the example has been that we really haven't received the love of God. When you understand how much God loves you, you'll break out of that bondage that you're in. If God's on your side, what are we doing in bondage, amen? Because God has the power to break us out of it. And if he's on our side and if God loves us, if you can ever understand that, I'll guarantee you, you'll go to resisting some of those problems and things that have come upon you. You really will. So there has been a tremendous, tremendous deficiency, I believe, among the body of Christ in recognizing some of these exact principles right here that we're talking about. We ought to believe that God loves us as much as he told a husband to love his wife. I've heard Kenneth Copeland say before that if somebody was to come up and say that his earthly dad had done what they've accused his heavenly dad of doing, he'd punch him in the nose. If somebody said that his earthly dad was the one that killed this little baby over there or maimed him with some kind of a disease, he'd punch him in the nose for saying that about his earthly dad. And yet we let people say that about God the Father all the time. Somehow or another we think God the Father operates in less love and less compassion than an earthly man. Well, that's just not so. We need to get back and start realizing that God is love. That's not a characteristic. That is one of his, that's his nature. That is what he is. God is love. And God is not going to change. God operates in love, amen? And if you'll understand this as a basic principle, I guarantee you, faith will begin to work. Faith will begin to work is exactly what the Scripture says. Well we got down to verse 24. Let's look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5, and remember that this is still speaking concerning the Lord and His church. It says, Husbands, love your own wives, excuse me, love your wives, it's the same thing, <laughs> you aren't supposed to love somebody else's wife, amen. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now he is giving a command for a husband to love his wife. Now, as we're talking about love, I think some things need to be explained because when you start talking about love, many people start thinking about what the world considers love. And, you know, it's the same parallel in the faith realm. We all thought at one time that we were operating in faith, and then you begin to find out from God's Word what faith really is. And we found out that we weren't operating in faith. We were operating in unbelief. Well, you need to realize that there is a counterfeit in the world for God's kind of love what the world calls love is not God's kind of love at all and sad to say many Christians today are still operating in a sensual devilish type of love and they think that that's God's type of love even in the marriage relationship they are now let me explain what I'm talking about because you see man's kind of love or a natural type of love is based on how you're treated it is based on that if you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's the way that the world works. Jesus himself said that, you know, the, the world will love its own. If you were of the world, the world would love you because you are of them. But because I'm not of the world, they don't love me. The world loves their own. Did you know that? And there is, there is a carnal type of love, but it is because that person is doing exactly what you want them to do. The moment they cross you, the world's type of love, immediately man begins to give them what they deserve. There is no long-suffering, there is no mercy. The love is based on whether you deserve the love. Well, now the drawback to that is that none of us deserve anything from God. The only thing you deserve is to go to hell. Did you know that? Praise God, that's the truth. Praise God we aren't getting what we deserve. And the problem is, you see, we've carried this same thinking about love over unto God. And when we get out of line, when we don't feel like we've lived exactly the way we should, when we haven't prayed enough, when we haven't studied enough, when we hadn't fasted enough, when we hadn't witnessed enough, when we haven't done everything enough, then we think somehow or another that God is operating in this earthly, sensual type of love that He just couldn't fellowship with me. Look what I've done. God's kind of love is available to us, and God's kind of love isn't Based on what a person does and whether they deserve it if it was none of us would have God's kind of love God's kind of love does not come to you according to what you deserve it is because that is his nature God is love and God loves us unconditionally and brothers and sisters you can love you see the world thinks that love is something that you just get struck with all of a sudden man this little naked boy goes around with an arrow and shoots you Cupid and if you get stuck, all of a sudden, boy, you just got love. You fell in love, and then you can fall out of love just as quick. That's carnal. That's a sensual, devilish love. God's kind of love doesn't come like that. God's kind of love doesn't just strike you and overpower you, and all of a sudden, you know, you've just got a, an overwhelming passion for somebody. That's not God's kind of love. If you, that's what you got, you need to rebuke it. Do you know it? That is not the way that God's kind of love comes. Now, let me share a scripture with you out of Titus. Let's look at this scripture. Out of Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, it's given instruction unto the older women. In verse 3, it says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become of holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, Keepers at home good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That scripture says to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now that word, boy, when I first saw this, this just really took me back. What do you mean teach the women to love their husbands and to love their children? You've either got love or you don't have love. Well, see, that's the world's conception. That's not God's conception. God's kind of love is something that comes from your heart, not from your emotions. Now, your emotions will be affected by it, but it does not originate from your emotions. When you get one of these overpowering compassions for somebody and man, you just can't seem to control it. Like on these old soap operas, they sit here and all of a sudden they've been faithful to this person for 20 or 30 years, but all of a sudden, you know, they just see somebody walk by and boy, they get struck and they can't help it. They go in and tell their mate, I love you, I hate to do this, but it's just bigger than you and me. I'm out of love with you and I'm in love with somebody else. We laugh at that, but did you know that most Christians still are operating in that conception about love? There's a lot of married people that they say, I'm just losing my love for my husband, the things that he's done. I can't love him anymore. Well, if you're losing your love, you didn't have it in the first place. Amen. God's kind of love is not conditional on how they act. Now, I am saying that Satan can get in and make you start wavering and get away from it, but it's not something that you feel. And, you know, there's a fear among so many people that, oh, I'm going to lose my love. What's going to keep the love functional in this marriage? Well, your decision to keep it functional, if it's God's kind of love, you can determine and say, this is the one God put me together with, and I will love them, even as Christ loved the church. And God's love will flow because you do it by faith and because it's a decree that you make with your will. God's kind of love is not an emotion. It affects the emotion, but it is not an emotion. And because God's people haven't known this, therefore, when your mate gets a little bit out of sorts, you think, How can I love them? Look what they've done. Well, you can't love them with the carnal, sensual, devilish love, but with God's kind of love, you can love them just as much. Amen. And you can see right past what they've done, and you can love them in spite of that. Now, some of you may think that's hard, but that's for your own benefit. That's for your own benefit. It'll set you free. I saw a woman whose husband was the worst I've ever seen. Somebody might be diff- bet worse, but I've never seen it or heard of it. But she loved that man. Despite what he did, he did everything he could to destroy her. He got a morbid pleasure out of just beating her physically, trying to kill her and cut her up and slashing her with his mouth, doing everything he could. And she determined that she was going to love him and she got a genuine love for that man and it changed him. He came around and got born again and got changed, amen. And I saw that woman will to love him and it worked. And some people don't like that. I even have this one lady that her husband has not been treating her right and he got up and left her and she's excited. She's glad he left and she's out already looking for another one and I don't even think she's divorced yet. I love the lady, but brothers and sisters, that wasn't God's kind of love. And it's not God's love that she's operating in looking for a new one. That is not the way God's love operates. And we need to get back and find out how God's love operates. God's love is unconditional. And Jamie made a statement, I guess it was yesterday morning or something, that one reason I believe that we are so messed up In our relationship with the Lord and don't understand how unconditional God's love to us is is because we don't even understand the physical love most people aren't operating in God's kind of love even in the physical and you know the scripture bears this out in first John where he says if you don't love your brother whom you have seen how can you love God whom you have not seen if you can't get a love functional between you and us but how can you get a love functional between you and God amen And a failure to understand this unconditional type of love, the fact that we get upset because they asked you to take out the garbage too many times, and man, how could you love them with them doing things like that? And because we get upset over things like that, it spilled over into our relationship with the Lord. And when we do something that's wrong, we think, well, God's probably going to have the same attitude towards us as what you've been dishing out towards your mate. We need to start, first of all, getting our relationship straightened out. And then we need to realize, praise God, the Lord doesn't deal with us that way. He said here that a husband is supposed to love his wife, even as Christ loved the church. Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. If you want to read Ecclesia, I mean Ezekiel chapter 16, the scripture there... Paints a picture, and it says that we were like a baby in the day that we were born, cast out and polluted, laying in our own blood. Our navel cord wasn't cut. We hadn't been cleaned up. We stunk, and God came by and saw us in that condition, and took took us unto Himself and cleaned us and and sanctified Him us unto Himself. That is a picture of how Jesus found us. Brothers and sisters, there wasn't a one of us that deserved for the Lord Jesus to come to this rotten place and do anything for us. He could have wiped us out and have been the better for it. Did you know it? God's love was unconditional. He came and loved you while you didn't even care about him. And that's the way that God's love is. And he told us that our love is supposed to be unconditional like that towards our brothers and sisters. You don't have rights in the Lord to sit here and reject somebody. People are always telling me my rights have been violated. What rights do you have as a Christian? You see, we aren't sitting here going by the ERA, amen, or some of what man has written down as these are our rights. When you became a Christian, you submitted your life unto him. Jesus is your Lord, and you're supposed to do what Jesus tells you. And if the Lord tells you to turn the other cheek, brothers and sisters, you can sit here and say, well, my rights have been violated, but God said turn the other cheek. And there's a lot of people who don't like that, amen. But that's good, and it'll set you free. And it'll change people. Did you know I've talked to a lot of people, especially women, it seems like the ones that the husband are the harder on the woman than if the husband's the one that's not safe. But i talked to a lot of women that their husbands have abused them and really ridiculed them and beat them down and they did have physical rights that were violated but when they just determined that I'm going to love that man regardless. And I am still going to love him, even though he doesn't deserve to be loved. Did you know it, first of all, sets them free from the bitterness? The Bible says that if you have a root of bitterness, it will defile your whole body. It sets the person free, first of all. Once you get free, then your faith is able to function. And once your faith gets to function, those same ladies have seen more change in their husband through them loving him and not giving him what he deserves than they ever do by sitting there trying to keep him in line and telling him, boy, and letting him have it every time he gets out of line. You can sit there and change people through your love. Did you know that? And some people think, well, bro, this is hard. i got some rights and they've been violated. You're better off to sit here and just surrender your whole rights unto the Lord. I took a group of kids one time to a Baptist camp, and this was a real fundamental type Baptist camp. And uh, these guys had long hair. Their hair wasn't really long. it's just down over their ears. I don't even think it's down on their shirt. But they had long hair. And the people at the Baptist camp told them they couldn't be saved. They was lost. And just really came down hard on them and let them have it. That's true. You believe that? <laughs> I know what you're saying. I caught you. Amen. Anyway, that's what they were telling these guys, and these guys at first, boy, they got mad. I mean, these guys were really giving them a rough time. In the mess hall, they'd sit there and say, hey, is it a girl or a boy? And they'd ridicule them and make fun of them and carry on. And I mean, they were being used to the devil to ridicule these guys. And so I caught them and they were standing out on the lawn and they were sitting there in a huddle is what it looked like. And I walked over and, boy, they were planning their strategy. They had the scriptures down and they were going to take it to those guys and they was going to let them have it. They was going to get up at the next service and grab the mic and let them know where they had missed it. And I just said, look. I said i don't think that's the thing to do and they said but you know we got some rights and i said in the lord jesus you wavered your rights you're supposed to be a christian and the lord told you to love them and i said all you're going to do by giving strife back is just start a cycle that if they give strife you give strife they give strife and it just is given and it's multiplied back unto you i said you need to break the whole thing and turn around and love them and did you know the lord opened those guys heart they saw it and they, they started praying, and they said, Lord, I forgive those guys, and we pray and believe that you're going to open up their hearts. And did you know that they'd go into that mess hall? And I, I got a little upset. I thought a few times about standing up and letting those guys hear a few things. But those guys, they'd sit there and make fun of them and whistle at them and act like they're a girl and all these things, and they'd just sit around and turn around and say, Brother, I love you in the Lord Jesus. And they just loved them. And did you know by the end of that week that some of those guys who were hitting them the hardest turned around and he says, you know what, you showed me that you've got more of God functional on the inside of you than what I do. He says, I wouldn't have responded the way you did if you'd have treated me that way. And did you know the Lord used that and opened up their heart and turned them around, praise God. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that love is like keeping coals of fire upon a person's head. Did you know it? That's what it says. It's like heaping coals of fire on a person's head. Out of Romans chapter 13, it says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't sit there and turn around and react to people in strife. Strife is the enemy of faith. It's the enemy of love. It's the opposite of love. And a lot of people, you see, are trying to get the faith principles down. Man, they've learned, well, I'm going to go out and confess this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But what they don't understand is the Bible says out of James chapter 3 that where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work envying and strife opens up the door to every evil work every device that satan has that means cancer that means any kind of sickness disease that means marital problems that means your children being overrun by the devil people around you being murdered car accidents anything that you want the devil to do you can open the door to it through strife and there's a lot of faith people today that are trying to get faith functional and they're fighting like cats and dogs with their husband or with their wife or something like that. Somebody does something and they blow up just like that and they wonder, why isn't my faith working? you got to realize the Bible says, Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love and strife is not love. And we've got to start getting rid of that and we've got to start loving even as Christ, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Amen. So that's the relationship that we need to have one with another. That's God's kind of love. And if that's God's kind of love, I think most people could understand. And once we've explained it, they could see that that is the way that God intended us to love other people. But then let's apply that back to God the Father. God the Father loves us with that unconditional type of love. And sad to say, most Christians don't really understand that. Most Christians think that the moment you get out of line, boy, God won't bless me. Look what I've done. What happened if a wife was to do something wrong and the husband came in and says, you can't expect me to hug you or kiss you or tell you that I love you. Look what you did. You'd tell him, say, look, you're supposed to love me even as God loved the church. That's what we'd tell the husband. Well, let's go around and turn it back to the Father, amen. So what if you blew it? God still loves you. His love is unconditional. And God doesn't break off fellowship with you because of your sin. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, brother, this isn't the way I've heard it before. I want to encourage you to come back because I've got a lot of explaining to do, amen? This is kind of a shock treatment. I hit you with something and then I spend the rest of the time, I got your attention, amen? And then we go explaining it. And it's going to take some time to explain this, but really, you need to really understand this. How does God deal with you when you mess up? How does God deal with you if you blow it? And what if you sin? You need to understand that. If you don't understand it, I guarantee you, you are going to be cut off from the power of God because guess what? Every last one of you is going to sin. Every last one of you is going to fall short. And when you do, if you don't understand this, you are going to be coming under bondage. You need to learn about how the Lord Jesus loves you. His love for us is unconditional. And brothers and sisters, He does not harbor grudges. Amen? Do you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to love even as God has loved us. We're supposed to forgive in the same way. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus has completely forgotten our sins and our iniquities. You aware of that? Let's look over here in Hebrews chapter 8. And it says this. Praise the Lord. We're spending a lot of time talking about our love one for another, but that's good because the Bible says that you've got to first of all love each other before you can love God. This is a good parallel. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.